Welcome to Max Volume, where we deliver loud takes and soothing decibels. I am your host, Maxwell Lewis Sanders, and this is episode 67. For those new listeners out there, Max Volume is a podcast that worships at the altar of pop culture, a place where the silly and inane are of the utmost importance. It's a pod where we discuss heavy topics like why SpongeBob SquarePants wears a tie to work as a fry cook, how many freckles does Morgan Freeman actually have, and the timeless appeal of Happy Gilmore. No quote too minor, no side plot too small. There's a pod for the TV geeks and movie freaks, so welcome all weary travelers. Your boredom ends here. Before we delve into the topic at hand, let's start with five minutes of Seinfeld-level daily observations. So warning, this is going to be a slightly longer one. I've been off for a week, 10 days. I missed you all. Mwah, love you. But, you know, I visit my cousin, uh, my no, my sister in New York, and I visit my nephew for the first time. Little Jacob, he's, a little, he's so cute. He's just tiny. And we were super safe. I drove the whole way. And, you know, we wore masks and all that good stuff. But he's just got little hands and little feet. I want to eat him. It was just great. Shout out, Jake. And also shout out my sister for raising a, you know, healthy, happy baby. But like I said, I've been on for seven, ten days. So I got a lot of things I want to share. And I got strong, non-central topic thoughts that I just want to express to you guys over the radio waves or sound waves. Or I don't know what the science term is for how this gets to you. For me, it's just magic. I just press a button and then I'm on Spotify or I'm on iTunes. And it's just the coolest thing in the world. It's basically David Copperfield, David Blaine. I don't know how it works. I don't want to know how it works because it being magic is a lot more fun for me. But anyways, I digress. So non-central topic, what I want to talk about. I freaking love trailers. 83% of the time, they are better than the movie they're selling. And I've always wanted a separate Oscars award show for people that make trailers, directors of them. I don't even know what the term is for it, just directors of trailers or trailer directors, because they're geniuses. They have this one to three minute cheat sheet that is basically the red zone channel of cinema. And it's all the good stuff, usually set to thrilling scores or well-known pop songs. I could spend a day on YouTube just revisiting the classic trailers over and over and over, even if the movie was garbage. And I don't think I can name a single trailer director can you i mean is that even a thing or is it the director himself splices together the trailer i think it's a different skill set so i don't know just i just want to like meet that person and see what they do and i just i love trailers over the past 20 years off the top of my head my favorites are there will be blood i adore any piece of art where paul dano is shrieking plus you got an intense daniel day lewis being all greedy and paul thomas anderson's weirdness Suicide Squad, which was a dumpster fire of a movie. The trailer, though, is like two minutes of genius. It's set to Bohemian Rhapsody. Jared Leto's Joker, we all thought like, oh, maybe this could be like Heath Ledger's. Like, you know, he could make it entirely his own. He had those platinum teeth and the damaged tattoo on his head. And you're like, okay, this could work. This is, this is definitely different. And it didn't work. It was, it was terrible. And it failed miserably. But the trailer, you know, you got Margot Robbie bouncing around as Harley Quinn with a giant bat. And you got Will Smith, all bald and cool, shooting people as Deadshot. It was just awesome. Other trailers I love, Swiss Army Man is, you know, uh, Harry Potter as a dead body that farts. Really funny in a trailer. It's such a great movie, too, for me. I think a lot of people didn't like it, but it's hilarious because fart jokes are hilarious, always. Dark Knight, like I said, Heath Ledger. Joker, these are a lot of Joker-based things, but I guess just Joker works well in trailers. Godzilla, that was awesome. He looked like 5,000 feet tall, and the movie ruled, too. The Master, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson again. The Lobster, super weird Colin Farrell movie. 
Interstellar, Matthew McConaughey, Christopher Nolan, Space Saga that looks realistic. And, you know, also Matthew McConaughey is like the best neck crier of all time. Because I remember he was crying and he's like using his whole traps in his neck. He just got good full body cry. That's like a hard talent to do. Broken Arrows, awesome action, bad 90s trailer. Prometheus, way better than the movie, but I watched a trailer about a billion times where like Charlize Theron voices over while it's like darkness in space. Uncut Gems, Adam Sandler making you feel uncomfortable. Call Me By Your Name, you know, it, Italian, uh, just beauty and fun. Wolf of Wall Street, the trailer had Kanye's, uh, Kanye West's Black Skinhead songs behind it while it looked insane. Inception with that whole wom wom noise that I think everyone uses nowadays. Stars Born, you've got Mail, Logan, where it's like the lone gunfighter kind of vibe for Wolverine. And they even played Johnny Cash's Hurt, which is like the best song ever. So trailers are the best. I mean, it's the NFL draft of movies. It's all upside, all potential, all hope, all wonder, and curiosity and just goosebumps. I mean, that's part of the best part about going to the movie theater is, you know, watching the trailer, seeing that green screen come on where it's like, this movie is rated for all audience. Like, oh, good. I'm going to watch this. It's good stuff. And then you tell your friend, like, oh, I'll see that. That looks good. Or you're like, that looks terrible. I'm not going to see that. That's like half the fun of going to the movies. That should be a thing that when you go to a movie theater, you could just pay to watch two hours of trailers on the big screen. I do that. That's an idea. One day. But I mean, like I said, these trailers have the best lines, the most dramatic shots, the largest explosions. And the title card at the end can be done in a billion ways. You know, it can be slammed right into the screen. It can fade in slowly. Even the calligraphy of the title means something, for Christ's sakes. I mean, it's awesome. And you get that instant desire to travel through time when you see the date of release plastered on the screen at the very end. And you're like, oh, man, February 2021. I want to go there. So you can imagine my glee when I saw the Batman trailer was released last weekend. Normally, I don't think I have OCD. My sister thinks I do. I don't think so. But I think slowly I am getting OCD because she's implant incepted me into thinking I have OCD. Like I check my locks a lot. And yeah, that's the main thing. I check my locks a lot or my thermostat a lot. And certain events or habits occur when my life kind of bleeds into the OCD spectrum. And my experience with this trailer is definitely one of those instances because I have watched this two minute, 31 second trailer about 173 times this week. And I watched dozens of trailer reaction videos. I would listen to the trailer on my Bluetooth headphones that did chores around the house. And I, I want to chalk it up a little bit to our collective societal starving appetite for new content. But something about this trailer kind of just profoundly satiated a need for me. Like Batman is back, people, okay? And he's creepy and noir. And we can watch the taste of Zack Snyder's interpretation right out of our mouths, which is nice. Sorry, Ben Affleck, I love you, but that was, that was not a fun time. So this trailer is a mid-30s emo phase kids fantasy. Like, there's freaking Batman in dark eye makeup. Nirvana's ominously playing in the background. Detective Jim Gordon looks like Morgan Freeman in Seven, down to the overcoat, the dark lighting, and the dim kind of ominous feel to it. Even the intro uh, DC Comics symbol and the WB symbol, the Warner Brothers symbol, are lit in neon red and black and are twisting and moving towards the audience to the rhythm of duct tape being pulled as the Riddler is gift wrapping his victim in the duct tape. I mean, that's awesome. So this trailer just reeks of like David Fincher, David Lynch, Christopher Nolan, Cronenberg, Dennis Villanueva. It's 
Gotham is this tragic, soul-crushing city of weird, and it fits perfectly as a place where Batman is needed. Like, there's no more lies written on the Zodiac killer-esque murder victim, and there's a riddle written on an Al greeting card, which I guess I, I did some research. It signifies a society of owls, which is a, like, old money, traditional, weird cult group in uh, Gotham. So that's cool. And you got Riddler's booming, slightly Bane kind of vibe voice. And anything Bane voice just tickles me pink. So I'm stoked. And I'm going to watch it for the 174th time when I finish this up. I have it, absolutely. I mean, I'm just already fired up again. Maybe I'll just stop. I'll pause. I'll edit. I'll watch it right now and just come back with that, you know, trailer energy. But uh, anyway, so that's my rant. Just go watch the Batman trailer if you haven't. It's going to fire you up, I promise you. Especially if you're a mid-30s emo kid. I mean, it's just, it's a fallout boy, my chemical romance interpretation of Batman. How cool is that? But the actual topic. So today I decided to challenge myself with one of my best, most difficult shower thought topics that I could think of. Who are the greatest actors, actresses, when you combine their iconic performances on the big screen with their work on a generational TV show. It sounds simple. You think to to yourself that there has to be a billion examples, but be warned, my children. It's like looking at Mount Everest from a mile away and saying it's a reasonable climb because you you can put your fingers next to your eye and smush Mount Everest. You get up to that thing, you know what I mean? There's a reason why people die up there. So once you take this challenge up close and personal, it's just a monstrous undertaking. And I set up some rules because without restrictions and red tape, we're just animals. And plus, rules are fun. Just I love world building and rule building. It's just good stuff. I think I would be a good Dungeon and Dragons player if I ever got into it. You know what I mean? Because there's a lot of rules and restrictions and stuff. But no, I never got into it. Maybe, maybe one day. Maybe if I find a clan. Yeah, that's right. I know that word, clan. So anyways, I want this to be a civil discussion. Uh, so in the movie, uh, for the rules, the actor has to be one of the two leads. No side characters, no like 12 minutes on screen, BS, cheap win. The movie has to be a blockbuster hit, over 100 million in revenue, which is the term for blockbuster. I mean, I think everyone knows that. I mean, that's why blockbuster was called blockbuster. I don't, I wonder what it's called. I I don't know why, what blockbuster in term, like the term actually means. Should look that up. But, uh, and the film had to be a large pop cultural influence as well. And this is a more subjective interpretation. But it's like the Supreme Court's view on pornography. You know it when you see it. You know what I mean? Like if I can say a quote in the middle of a crowded room and someone's going to respond back, that's culturally influential. And also no voiceover animation shenanigans. This has to be a real person. For the TV side of it, the TV character has to be one of the three central leads. Sorry, Chris Pat and Parks and Rec. And the character has to be on the show for more than one season. Sadly, nixes out Matthew McConaughey on True Detective, who would be an easy winner. Although, what's this great movie, actually, if you think about it? I mean, Dallas Buyers Club, yeah, he won an Oscar, but no one rewatches that. I mean, it was a good movie about AIDS, but it's not a fun watch. I guess Interstellar, but people have mixed reviews on that. And I, I don't know if he's really like the star of that. I think just space and weirdness, and Christopher Nolan's the weirdness, I mean, the star of that. But again, the show has to have a giant cultural impact. Example, if you search the show's name on Itzy, you get over 100,000 results of custom-made art based on uh, the show from fans. Think Parks and Rec, Game of Thrones, you know, that kind of stuff. And no SNL variety shows, because that's just movie actor training camp. That's not, you know I mean? Like, that's an easy filtering system. And that's, I don't consider that real TV. That's live and kind of improv. 
So just to show you how hard this is, I'll start with some initial thought failures that came to mind. So you just start firing off movie stars and hit TV shows like, you're like, okay, Brad Pitt. Wait, no, 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 he's never been in a TV show. Damn it. Matt Damon, okay, okay. No, 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 never never been on a TV show. Anything hit. Ben Affleck, no, 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 there's no TV show for him. Damn. All right, moving on. So like, you, like, uh, like all those three, like monster movie stars have zero TV relevance usually. And it's weird. And then you think of like, hit TV shows, you're like Mad Men, Game of Thrones, The Wire, Breaking Bad, uh, Sopranos, uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, Sons of Anarchy, Seinfeld, Entourage. These are all big ensemble casts who never hit solo gold on the big screen. Like, I can't name one superb Brian Cranston movie. Can you? I can't. I mean, I think Trumbo was supposed to be good or something, but it's not, it's not part of the culture. Uh, like, Jer- Jeremy Piven is forever already gold. He's not ever, you know, anyone in act. Never a movie actor. Although he was good in PCU, but that's like a cult movie from the 80s. I'm not going to count that. And Idris Alba, you know, The Wire, Stringer Bell, is always like the third or fourth lead in the movies in kind of like a Fast and Furious or a Molly's Game type of movie. So again, like you're striking out on all levels. So like I said, it's more challenging than you you think. So you kind of play Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, just rapid fire shooting hit shows, blockbuster movies, and seeing if the puzzle pieces fit. And you end up looking down at your watch and realize like, my God, I've been doing this for two hours. That's not a good use of time. But it's, it's fun, but it's frustrating. It's kind of like, it's, imagine how I think playing golf is. You know what I mean? Like you're playing crappy all day and you get that one shot off the tee where you just strike it right. It goes straight to where you want it to and it just you know bounces near the cup. And you're like, I want to do this forever. It's amazing. So you get that, you get that win and you're like, okay, I can keep going. But fear not, I got a rare class of winners who fit this unique categorization. Oh, and final rule. So I averaged the rank of the movie with the TV show to get an overall combined score that is rated on a one to 10 scale. So example, like let's say Tom Hardy, Dark Knight Rises, 8.2. And that's a high score just because Bane is awesome. I mean, the movie's not great, but I just, I love Bane more than anything in the world. So and his TV show would be Taboo, which is this weird, insane FX show about Nigerian witchcraft in 18th century uh, British tea, tra- tea companies. It's crazy. It's weird. It's, I mean, I really, I wanted to like it. It was terrible. I'll give it a 4-1. So he's got an average score between the 8-2 and the 4-1. And if you're doing math at home, that's a 6.15. So that's his average score between, that's his movie TV combo score. And I know he's better in, as the Jewish rum runner, Alfie in Peaky Blinders, but he's like the ninth lead. So it doesn't count. It's maddening, right? Like you feel like it's, oh, so close. But, you know, that's the fun of it. So let's begin. First pick was the easiest because he did both roles at the same time, which is pretty unheard of. And fun fact, the iconic show, on television wouldn't have gotten its second season without the movie success. Can you guess who it is? Is it like the tip of your tongue? Do you have, I mean, is your brain racking? Cause this one actually was reasonably easy. This was like the one easy pick I had. It's Steve Carell for his legendary performance, Michael Gary Scott on the NBC sitcom, the office and Judd Apatow's 2005 hit comedy, the 40 year old virgin. One of the best names for a movie ever too. That's just like, I want to see what this is about. Great movie poster too. Oh my God. Just him looking all happy in that bright orange background. I can always see it. And like I said, The Office is the most watched Netflix show ever. It's got like 10 billion views, like actually. 
And there's zero question Michael Scott was the lead character and funniest guy on the screen for the seven seasons. He was a part of the show. It went on for nine seasons, but he left. I actually liked the last two seasons a lot, but I had this weird affinity for great shows that when they fall off in their last few seasons, I still dig them because I just like hanging out with the characters. Like a lot of people say the wire season five is a terrible season. I still dig it because I'm, I don't know. I just like hanging out with those people, but back to the office, uh, the show won a billion Emmys. It's still super relevant seven years after its finale. And you can literally shout lines from the show in public and people will know exactly what you're referring to. Like my personal favorite is the overuse of that's what she said. And I mean, I think even like Dave Portnoy on Barstool says it all the time when he's doing his pizza reviews. So The Office gets a 9.8 in my book. Super high, super great, super rewatchable, just creative, original, fun. And The 40-Year-Old Virgin was the beginning of the improv style, kind of man-child friendship, Apatow style filmmaking. It made $177 million at the box office. It introduced us to Seth Rogen as a movie character or a movie star, revitalized Paul Rudd's career, who, if you don't remember before this, I think the only thing that he was in that was relevant was Clueless as the brother-in-law for, uh, for what's her name? Cher, for Cher. So... I mean, shout out to Paul Rudd. Love his career now. But I think this career, this really made him. And it turned Steve Carell into a bankable star. Super iconic. We all remember the chest whacking scene where Andy yells out, like, Kelly Clarkson, among other kind of random profanities. And they actually, I mean, everyone loves saying this, but I'm going to say it again. Uh, he actually got his chest waxed during that scene. And I guess they didn't hire like a real waxer. They hired an actress. So she was doing it completely wrong. So his pain is real, especially when they do, they like rip the hair off the nipple. Apparently you're supposed to put like a special oil on the nipple. So it doesn't like rip. And she did not know that. And so his pain is real and it's just hilarious every time. And for relevancy nowadays, like Bill Simmons just did a rewatchable podcast about it this month. Still holds up. Still really funny. Always will be. I give it a strong ranking of 9.2. So cumulatively, Steve Carell gets a 9.5 overall ranking. And like I said, this, this is a lot of effort. Like, this was hard to do. This was like, I spent like a couple of hours just like thinking of people and just getting rejected. It was like, it was brutal. So damn my shower thoughts and their need for in-depth research and thought. Like, why can't I just have nice, easy topics? But that's not as fun, not as satisfying. Moving on. Next one took me a minute because he hasn't made a movie worth seeing in 15 years. Sorry to my friend, John, who absolutely loves him, but he stunk for the last 15 years. Just brutal movie after brutal movie. It's a bummer because he used to be the coolest dude on the planet. But in the early 90s and early 2000s, he was a god among men. I give you Will Smith for his combined roles in The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and Men in Black. So first off, Fresh Prince was the most fun sitcom of the time. And Will was a catalyst for its success. He had that rare combination of handsome, funny, goofy, and he had the range to get serious when he needed to. I mean, everyone remembers the episode where his dad kind of abandons him yet again, and he starts screaming into the void about a, his abandonment, and it's just chills. It's just like, this is like Oscar-level acting of like, on a, on a normal sitcom. It's bizarre. Like, I mean, I've, I think everyone my age, I'm 34, has watched that Will Smith kind of rant over and over again. It's like, this guy has everything. It just gives you chills. It gives me chills thinking about it. And also you can ask any man, woman, or child between the age of 25 to 50 to rap the theme song of, of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, and you get like a 94% return rate. So that's iconic, no question, easy to think about. 
And Men in Black was the biggest movie of the summer of 1997. It made 589 million bucks. And we all remember the lines like, I make this look good. That kind of arrogance of Agent J. Not to mention the Men in Black theme song, also a number one hit. This ended up making two other movies. There was a good cartoon show. I mean, there's a lot. I mean, this movie just like culturally just affected a lot. And also kind of just sprung Will Smith into the stratosphere of being super popular. Also for Will Smith, though, if you want to argue Bad Boys as his best role, totally legitimate. I get it. It's way funnier. The It's super violent. I love Michael Bay. I love the Miami cop angle. Totally on the same level as Men in Black, if not better. I just didn't think it did as well. I think it made like $180, $200 million. So this was, I mean, if, if a movie makes double the amount of money and spawns cartoons and, you know, sequels and all. Although Bad Boys had two sequels too. Bad Boys awesome. So anyways, for Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, I'm going 8.8. .8. A little lower because it's dated, because now sadly laugh tracks and typical storylines don't age as well. And I'm going 9.2 for Men in Black and Bad Boys. So total score for Will Smith of 9.0. For number three, I've got Robin Wright for The Princess Bride and House of Cards. Oddly enough, I could pick her partner, Frank Underwood, from the TV show. But all the Kevin Spacey stuff is weird and canceled. So let's ignore he exists. You know, I'm sorry. Sorry, Kevin. So remember, House of Cards was the first original Netflix show. And it was directed by David Fincher. And it was a huge deal culturally. It's like, welcome to the big boy show, Netflix. And David Fincher, you know, he directed Seven, uh, The Social Network, and a few other things. And he's just fantastic. And Robin Wright's cold, pragmatic Claire Underwood was a huge reason for the success of the show. I just love it. It just, yeah, I can watch it today and get locked into a two-week binge. And yes, the last season fell off the rails, but that's life. It's still dark and political and weird and murdery and it rules, and she really carries it. So House of Cards rank, I'm going 8.6. And then we got the wonderful role of Buttercup, or Princess Buttercup, from 1987's The Princess Bride. This movie's loved by everyone. It has action, love, humor, scares, swoons, and everything you can want from a movie. Honestly, it's the perfect movie, written by William Goldberg, who's also wrote Butch, uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. So, I mean, the dude has some chops. And young Robin Wright, is probably the most classically beautiful woman on earth. Like you can understand why Wesley will risk his life and limb to be with Buttercup. Plus she seems kind of, she seems kind, compassionate, funny, and heroic when she needs to be. So it's just that full package you want from a female lead. And this movie is still super relevant. Just look at like, there's a YouTube video within the last month of a bunch of A-list actors basically imitating and redoing the movie. And it got like 9 billion hits. So, I mean, definitely still relevant. Plus, super quotable. Like, you can just say, as you wish. Or, my name is not... Well, let me see if we get this right. Hold on. Let me get the right... Oh, I'm going to get the right vibe for this. All right. My name is... Un Damn it. My name is in Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Let me try that one more time. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Eh, it's okay. But he said it a bunch of times, too. So, I'm not worried about it. I, I got so nervous about saying it because it's so iconic. And I blew it. But... <laughs> It's okay. You know what I mean? That's that's part of life. That's part of the show. You get the good, the bad, and everything in between. So Princess Bride gets a 9.6. So Robin Wright gets a mean score of 9.1. And yeah, like I said, I mean, that, to think about Robin Wright, like I don't have many Robin Wright discussions in my life. Do you? And it's like I had to think of I had a show that hasn't been on the air for a while and a 1987 movie. So this is hard, like I said. And finally... The last score is just for me. 
and I'm screwing the rules for this one because I made the rules. I can bend them. I can do what I want. This is my little world. And my favorite combo of movie and TV is without a doubt, Clive Owen for children of men and the under underappreciated Cinemax show, the Nick. So children of men was this dark kind of apocalyptic future sci-fi Alfonso Cuaron epic about humanity losing the ability to have children and everyone just, you know, losing their minds because of it. Cause you know, humanity's going to end. And it's so weird and detailed and chaotic. And Clive Owen is this kind of charming, drunk, broken man trying to find his heart as he's kind of trying to rescue humanity as they find the first pregnant woman in like 20 years. And it's just an all-time performance, and I can't imagine anyone else doing it. And plus, look at those cheekbones. I mean, the guy is dreaming. And it made $70 million. So yes, it's not a blockbuster, but in my mind, blockbuster. So lesser known, but I don't care. Don't care. Like I said, it ruled. So did Clive Owen. I'm giving it an 8.4. And then Nick, like my God, the Nick. It's two seasons. It's directed by Ocean's Eleven director, God King, Steven Soderbergh. Also did Sex, Lies, and Videotapes, Contagion, uh, Haywire, Magic Mike. I mean, the dude rules. And it depicts early 20th century medical science in a hospital in New York City. And Clive Owen is this brilliant, uh, addicted to medical cocaine doctor who's also performing mad real-life life experiments on patients to uh, kind of forward surgery and help the medical field move forward. Like, this is like the time period when, like, oh, you're depressed. Let's take out your teeth because you're, the, the depression's in your teeth. Like, they didn't know what was going on, but they were trying different things. And they moved, I think the, they say in the show that this five-year period moved medical science further ahead than the previous 500 years. It might be because they're all cocaine out, too. I mean, they use a lot of cocaine in this. Because, I mean, back then it was, like, in Coca-Cola, and you know, it was part of the medical field. So they didn't know, but, I mean, clearly it messed them up, too. But it's engrossing. It's beautiful. And it's uniquely shot. It's one of my top 10 shows of the past 20 years. Definitely watch it if you can. And it has a perfect two-season arc. You know, it's easily consumable. Just num, 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 num. Just, you know, you can have it over a week. I'm giving it an 8.8. So Clive gets an 8.6. So there you have it. There's the Mount Rushmore of TV movie combo rankings. It's Steve Carell, Will Smith, Robin White, Robin White, Robin, Robin Wright. Wow, that was hard to say. And Clive Owen. So when I can think of another four characters, uh, bam, we'll have another pod. But till then, please like, subscribe, and review Max Volume on iTunes and Spotify. Until next time, later.